What's up, podcast listeners? This is episode number nine of Adventure Health. This month is October, so we're going to be talking about some really important stuff regarding uh, breast cancer and the female endocrine system. So on the line, I have an expert in that area, Dr. Annette Schippel. She's uh, spoke around the world uh, regarding different uh, metabolic syndromes, endocrine problems, and uh, just overall uh, you know, phytonutrients and herbal remedies. Uh, she's also one of the instructors with uh, Standard Process. So she's also somebody that I got a chance to sit in the audience and learn a ton from. So what's going on, Annette? Hi, not much. This is good. I'm excited. Me too. You know, in uh, every podcast, the goal is really simple. It's just to bring some relevant information to our listeners that is practical, something that you don't necessarily need a degree to apply. It's just real life stuff. And, you know, on our podcast, we just want to kind of bring to the forefront a lot of the kind of misnomers, you know, in the medical community, they've got us duped into thinking we've got only one solution and that's like hormone replacement, birth control, things like that. So, you know, one of the patients today actually brought up the idea that his wife has uh, PCOS and we were talking about this uh, just recently. So let's dive into that kind of first and get into that area with with PCOS and just the endocrine system, what are some things that might be going on that might be overlooked besides just giving them a, a simple pill or something like that? Well, I think one of the I think one of the first things to understand about women in general is that uh, well we're really different and we're not. If you look at actually modern medicine, modern medicine is is all of it is based based off of male physiology. And in many cases, it's also just a very reductionist, you know, point of view. So when we talk about when we talk about a female cycle, for instance, first of all, you know, we start off not cycling, right? There is this whole transition where we get into our reproductive years, our cycling years, and when we're in that phase, we have a very distinct rise and fall of our hormones. And in just very simply, in the first half of our cycle, estrogen would dominate, and then after ovulation we would have progesterone would be the dominating hormone because of it being produced from um, the empty follicle, which becomes the corpus luteum. So we have this beautiful rise and fall of hormones that are orchestrated ultimately by the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And that may sound, I, I don't want to make it sound technical, but the reality is our patients are becoming much smarter, right? So they hear this word thrown around like the HP axis. Well, if you think about this, this is this is the last thing that kind of comes online in the endocrine system. When we're born, thyroid is functioning, our pancreas is functioning, our adrenals are functioning. It's really not as until we go through puberty that we have this cycle of hormones, we have increased androgen hormones that will that will play a major role for the next 30, 32 years. Now that is important to understand because when we're looking at like a one pill to fix everything, so I'm going to get to this PCOS, it makes no sense. Her cycle is absolutely influenced by what the thyroid is doing, what the adrenals are doing. Any imbalance within, within hormones or thyroid or adrenal function can affect the pancreas and, and blood sugar regulation. And yet, you think about all these, these interacting complex systems, right? You kind of go, wow, this is not just her ovaries anymore. For something like PCOS, which which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, so the te the technical the technicality of it is that she would have a bunch of cysts that are on the ovaries. It used to be called like um, lumpy bumpy, 
ovaries because it would it would look very ridged and one of the signs would be a missed period but more than that she'd be experiencing more insulin resistance she could have increased hair growth or also called hertuism um, weight gain uh, a disruption of the communication to regulate hormones so actually she wouldn't have her cycle because she wouldn't ovulate but what I what I've seen this trend over the last like 15 years or so is that if she even just misses her cycle she will get labeled with PCOS so we don't don't know why nobody's really gone in and look but just because of a missed cycle she could miss one or two and they say oh it's PCOS but get this this is the crazy part for all those things and you you mentioned it in the introduction um, the solution, quote unquote, is birth control. Now, I started off talking about how she has a rise and fall of hormones. So if her hormones are rising and falling the way they should, then the follicles that she makes initially would actually involute and go away, and they would never settle on the ovaries. But just to reiterate, a rise and fall of hormones, right? When she is put on birth control, essentially birth control, what it does, it suppresses all the hormones, both estrogen and progesterone, and creates this more or less of a little bit of a flat line, leaving estrogen dominant throughout the whole cycle. And now, now just that nothing about that would correct it. Nothing about that makes sense because ultimately, especially with PCOS, really a lot of what's behind it is a communication problem within, within the brain and the ovaries. So going back to that HP axis, and what I find clinically is a major culprit is honestly stress. So stress is because when she's under a lot of stress and this can, I mean, we think about our young girls, our young girls take on more responsibility in school. They take on, on more, uh, more uh, teams like, or they're, or they're doing one team year round. I mean, there's so many challenges or, or even the girl that's in college and so forth. But what, isn't recognized, I think, enough that in this stress response, there are other pituitary hormones that can surge that can actually suppress ovulation. So then she doesn't ovulate, right? She doesn't ovulate, she's not gonna have a she's not gonna have a period. And then that starts creating the imbalance that allows for cysts to actually form. But the truth is someone could be making cysts and still have a cycle. So it's really about understanding really the uniqueness of female hormones which is kind of a mystery, isn't it? Absolutely. Women are definitely <laughs> a mystery. Um, you know, you said some really cool stuff about the kind of the brain-body connection. As chiropractors, we have to agree checking and balancing the spine and the nervous system first and foremost, I think, is critical. Before you get into the hormonal response, I mean, the nervous system controls, coordinates all cells, tissues, and functions. So as chiropractors, we always want to check those patients first and foremost um, find a lot of them have, uh, like you said, according to their stress levels, subluxations and low back, upper neck, things like that. But then also too, you had mentioned kind of blood sugar. So what part or what impact would you say lifestyle diet and, and activity level could maybe impact these patients as well? Just overall, like not necessarily, not necessarily the, the PCOS patient, correct? Well, well, I mean, just in general, like what, we, we kind of talk about this in the podcast, like, like, is, is lifestyle going to influence this? Is that something we should address or should we just jump into nutrition and, and supplementation? Well, no, 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 no. I mean, I think that this, this is sort of the, I think the unique approach that, that chiropractors take who also do, do functional nutrition is that I'm 
always reminded kind of of those roots. So if you think about our roots and you think about the, the three T's, right? The subluxation complex. So you have trauma. So that could be the physical aspect. We have toxins. So think for just a moment, the toxins. That could be, it's the environment. It's what we're exposed to. So for women, it could be hormone disruptors, but without a doubt, the diet. So we'll, we'll all come and come back around to the whole sugar aspect and digestion. And then there's also the final T, which is thoughts. So how we think, how we handle stress, our perception of stress, our response to stress. You know, the, the adjustment is absolutely one of the most critical parts of what we do and how we support our patients. The problem is, is that people, people are much sicker than they've ever been. They're more overwhelmed when we look at those three T's. So we have to incorporate talking to them about their lifestyle, talking to them about diet, make sure that they're digesting and eliminating besides what we can do to enhance the structure. And, and that even goes in for balancing hormones. You cannot supplement your way out of trouble. If you're, if you're, you know, grossly abusing your body, either over-exercising, under-exercising, you know, walking around with so many subluxations, the firing is all off, you know, like we might think of, or ingesting things that are known inflammatories. I mean, so if we want to tie it into what I was referring to earlier, sugar's in inflammation, right? Too much right. sugar feeds inflammation. And when sugar comes down those pipes, the body has to respond to it. Insulin has to respond. Cortisol will influence blood sugar regulation. And cortisol is also one of our most potent anti-inflammatory hormones and is produced by the adrenals in a stress response. So just little things as far as just eating too much sugar, getting the blood sugar highs, and then if it drops too low, the you know body will surge hormones to bring it back up, things such as cortisol and glucagon. But if you get into this roller coaster road, then what do the cells do? They become less resistant to that hormone. So it just starts this whole series of problems. And it's, it's one of those things where I look at it and someone will be like, well, when, like, when does this happen? I'm like, well, that's just the, that's just the thing. Being, being healthy or being unhealthy is neither fair nor linear. So some people look at the person next to them like, well, look at what they're eating. Look at what they're doing. Why, why don't they, you know, why don't they feel that? It's so, well, first of all, you don't know how they feel, but it doesn't matter. You could do something and based because you're a man and I'm a woman, you might get away with certain habits longer than I will because of my own hormone balance and my own hormone sensitivity. Or maybe just my life leading up to this point has been filled with several major stressors as well as minor stressors that can throw off this whole mind-body balance. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You know, okay. and, and, and I kind of think where, where we're going with this is it's, it's not just your, your genetic predisposition and your no. genetics, it's, it's your lifestyle. And I, I go back to some, some studies I've looked at in, in the lifestyle component is really approximately 90% or more of our genetic expression. So, you know, to look at somebody in the same family, you know, for example, my brother and I are of the same genetics and him and I live different lifestyle. And yet, even though we're males and, and we're not, we're talking about females mm -hmm. right now, just That's our right. lifestyle, our <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. We don't have to apologize for that. But the, yeah. the reality is we, we are the same genetic like um, background, but yet our lifestyle is very different and it is an expression that is in two different directions. So just like you said, I mean, we may have two people doing the same thing or 
eating differently or, or moving differently, but there's a, a lot of variables. And so I like to focus on things I can control in it. And I don't know about you, but I mean, if you leave it up to chance and, you know, in, in genetics and all the stuff out of our control and then you're really screwed. But really the idea of these podcasts is to kind of arm our people and our, our listeners with the idea that you're in control more than you think. And, and to say it runs in the family or to say that's just, oh, you're a female and it's inevitable. I, I just, I just think that's a bunch of bullshit. You know, I mean, I don't think that's really uh, a, a game you want to play right now because what I'm seeing just through an observation the human species is getting sicker. The female population is becoming less fertile. Um, we're becoming less reproductive. Um, in a minute, we're going to get into that and, and talk about that. I mean, the fertility rates are going down every year. Uh, breast cancer, cervical cancer, they're going up every year. And I can't, I can't keep pointing my finger at genetics because we look at somebody like James Chestnut, and he's like, dude, your genetics haven't changed but a fraction of a fraction in the last 100 you know, to 200 years. So what is it that's changing? It's a damn aquarium that the fish are living in. It's getting dirtier and dirtier. And so you know, we can't keep blaming the genetics when the life and the environment is changing stress, social media. You, know, you talk about that. I mean, damn, there's a study I saw 450, peop or 450 million people are addicted to social media. Tell me that doesn't influence how you think about your your self-consciousness, your self-worth, your just your self-image. I mean, oh so gosh. it's well, and I want to I want to touch on something really quick about about the genetic thing because um there I I have this conversation a lot. Like, okay, so first of all, what's familial and what is genetic? Like sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, diabetes runs in my family." I go, "Well, I'm going to tell you right now, diabetes is not genetic." You know, you anybody can eat their way there. Which also means you could have all your parents, your 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 siblings, or whoever else can all be diabetic. That does not have to be your story, and I think that's a really important thing to touch our patients that that understand the difference. If you adopt the same lifestyle, if you were talking about just the difference between you and your brother, but if you adopt the same lifestyle and your family has quote a history of cardiovascular disease, basically metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, these are not genetic things. And then, and then I think sometimes the thing that I don't like, I'm like you, I don't really love the word genetics because it's like, oh, it was my genetics. Like I have, I have no, no hope. I have no, I have no control over it. Here is the reality. Genetics can leave us at a, at maybe an increased risk. When we look at women with the autoimmune or we look at the autoimmune trigger, women make up about 78% of all diagnosed cases of autoimmune. That's a fact. Um, once you have one autoimmune, you're more likely to get more. We could get into that because that has a lot to do with the treatment of it. We know that estrogen can be a trigger. Women, we just, by the nature of our makeup, carry more estrogen than men, which is probably why we're more prone to autoimmune. We know that genetic can leave us predisposed to it. So when we talk about the genetics there, Yes, if there is a whole family, every you know, your mom had certain autoimmunes and grandmother and so forth, you have a predisposition, but that does not mean that you will get it. I wanted because this when you brought up the whole breast cancer thing, from the statistics that I have seen, we don't have any more women with breast cancer because of the BRCA gene than we did 40, 50 years ago. But we do have more women with breast cancer. So we have to think about what else is causing it because it's not 
it's not just the genetics. There is something right. else I could talk about that's in the aquarium. Or what is it? What is it? Is what is it that's putting that person at risk? And then you get into the fertility and so forth. So I think it's really good, and I think it's very empowering. You know, for for the people who are listening, you know, do not let someone else's, even if they're related to, do not let their health story become your story. Just because they have it does not mean it's yours or that you have to own it. And whatever your story was before, the ending has not been written. So you still have time to change it. And that's where the lifestyle part comes in because it is a journey. You don't say, oh, you know, you're down, you're down what, in Georgia, right? Yeah. Where are you at? Okay, so you're down in Georgia. You don't say, hey, you know what? I think I'm gonna go see Dr. Annette. And you get in your car and you start driving and then, you, and then you're coming through, you know, through Tennessee and you're going, oh man, I'm not there. I'm just, I'm obviously, I'm never gonna get there. I can't see it and turn around and go home. Right, that, that, that sounds insane. But what do we do with our health? We start to make a lifestyle change. We don't see the result that we want fast enough. We, don't, we can't see it, even though it could literally just be around the corner and go, oh, well, I guess I'm never gonna get there. I'm gonna turn around and go back. But, and that's, that's the truth, man. So right? many people are into that, that quick fix mentality. Oh. And, and we talked about this last podcast uh, with Dr. Lyle. It's, you know, there's limitations of matter and, and cells turn around at a certain rate and you have to understand yeah. you've got to give them what they need. But I just want to kind of touch on the genetic talk real quick because I look at genetics as like a light switch. So your gene is off or on. And the mm -hmm. things that you do, the things that you, uh, your lifestyle, your diet, your nutrition, your, your, your focus in life, your uh, getting adjusted, all those things. Those are things that can turn on or turn off the genetic potential for that disposition. So to say it's inevitable, I think that's a bunch of bullshit. And, and I agree. The medical, the medical community has us duped into thinking if you have the, well, shit, we can find a gene for every thing out there. And I'm sick <laughs> of it. I'm going to go off on a tangent because I'm. No, this, I love this. Go. go. The shit that I'm reading is ridiculous. There's a gene for this and a gene for that. And I'm going to go back to Chestnut because he's my buddy. And I give a lot of credit to the things I've, I've thought and learned from him. There's an alcoholism gene. Take a wild guess what turns on the alcoholic gene. It's called alcohol. So when you look at a simple thought process of what turns on cancer, what turns it off, what turns on heart disease, what turns it off, inflammation, diet, lack of exercise, these types of things, just like driving to your office, if you just get halfway there and don't do all the things necessary to get the complete journey, you're never going to get there. And you're going to say, I, try, I tried it. We, um, we look at it. And, and a lot of times it's then our, our scapegoat is to go back to medicine and say, yeah, yeah, alternative healthcare doesn't work. Failed me. You know, I went to the chiropractor once. I took your supplements for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. You know, I tried, I tried that yoga meditation thing. You know what? And that just it doesn't work. I mean, uh, yoga has been around for a thousand years. Um, I was talking to a patient today about just the Eastern medicine philosophy of acupuncture and things like that. I mean, when you don't give in to the body's needs and you just try and suppress a symptom or a genetic trait, you're never going to get your full potential. And that's what I'm talking about to you guys today is there's, there's, there's a series of steps we need to take. And it's not just one layer. It's not just going on the keto diet or not just going on the paleo diet or not just cutting out sugar or whatever you want to attribute 
your 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 friend in some blog or some Facebook group that thinks they know everything <laughs> about everything. I mean, seriously, people come to me and they're like, "Well, I heard this." I'm like, "Who's your who'd you hear from? What's their credentials? Where's the research? And is it reproducible?" And they're like, "I don't know. My my neighbor told me." I'm like, "You're gonna trust your neighbor over me, who's had you know extensive education." So the reason I brought Annette on the line is when I sat in the audience of her um, her lecture, I was floored. Like I thought I knew something, and then I realized how much I don't know. And that's why this is so important to bring this voice out to the world is because the people that I know know more than me. And that's where I'm going to humble myself and just bring up. I know logic and I know simple terms, but I want you guys to understand there's people out there that have the science to back it up. And they've been doing this for years more than me. And I think it's really awesome that you get to listen to these conversations because I had to pay money to listen to her and you get this for free. So that's pretty <laughs> awesome right there. So, Oh, there's that, right? <laughs> you know, um, I think that I wanted to, I thought this was kind of, this. Is, I always love analogies. You know, yeah, I thought when you were in the audience, I'm like, I'm like, I think someday I'm just going to write my book on analogies to explain health because we kind of start learning it when we're in chiropractic school. But going into where you're talking about the genetics and, and really the time frame. So I do think it's really important. We don't have to automatically tell people that this is going to go on forever, but you got to understand, like you said, cellular turnover, simple things. The life of a red blood cell is 90 to 120 days. If I'm looking at the white blood cell, that's a window of time of 30 hours to about three weeks. So when we, in functional nutrition, when you use labs, you know, you're looking for a trend. If you use a typical lab reference range, that's pathology. You're looking at pathology on the, on the either extreme. So, so function tries to bring it in to see where the trend is. But even with that, I don't care who you are, if you're not looking at the cycle of the different things that that you're using to evaluate someone you're going to miss some really important communication with them but kind of get into the whole analogy thing and you're talking about you know we take a we take a drug and we suppress a symptom so what what happens you know the body the body is still in distress it's going to find a way to get your attention i really think this whole thing when i talk about poly autoimmunity is you know something as simple as hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Everybody's heard of it. Most people have it, it seems like. But the treatment for it is simply Synthroid. They are given T4. That's it. Now, we just said this is autoimmune. This is autoimmune thyroiditis. But all I'm going to give you is T4 because that is going to make your labs look the way that satisfies me. And then we're shocked that this person gets another autoimmune. So any endocrinologist that sits there and tells a person who has one autoimmune you're going to get two to three more. They're correct because nothing is ever done to address the underlying issue. It's like in your car. So think about it. When the check engine light comes on, nothing's really gone wrong yet, right? So you're getting a signal that something's off. But most of us, how many of us, we could probably all raise our hands. We have driven many miles with a check engine light on, right? Now, you're not going to just put some duct tape over it just because you're tired of looking at it. But, you, but if, you, if you don't get it checked out, right, it's going to go on. Then what could happen next? Well, maybe the oil light comes on. Well, that might get our attention a little bit more. But the reality is, is that things are going to keep going wrong in your car if you don't fix an underlying issue. 
And it's, and it's just, it's kind of just very simple things. And this is my favorite one, like this one. This is the one I use for diet, you know, because we will treat our cars better than we'll treat our bodies. Oh, absolutely. No one, right? No one listening is going to take their car to the gas station that takes unleaded and put diesel in it knowingly. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Diesel is cheaper today. So I'm going to put diesel in my car, even though it really takes unleaded. I'm going to put diesel in my car because it was cheaper. Oh, this is so great. You could go so many places with this analogy. No, no, no. Let's talk about that because right? so, so I'm from Detroit and my dad is an engineer from General Motors, worked there for close to 40 years. So dad's frugal. He buys the cheap gas. Yeah. I drive different types of cars. I wouldn't necessarily classify them as imports, but they're technically imports. And I buy, <laughs> just I, your dad. I, buy, I buy better fuel. I don't, I don't buy domestic cars right now just because I've owned GM products and they broke down on me more than anything. So no, anyway, so I'm, I'm talking to my dad and he's like, gas is all equal. It's all a bunch of crap. You know, they're just trying to sell you on. And I said, so you replace the engine on your car at what mile? He said 60,000. I said, so I've got like 180,000 miles on my Volkswagen and oil change and brakes. And he's like, well, you know, and, and it was kind of like the, the, the genetics talk. Yeah. Well, they just, they, they made that car better. My car was made worse. And I said, well, not only did I change the oil with synthetic, but I used the premium or mid grade at minimum on all my uh, Phillips. And I just listened to the basic needs of my car. So getting into the car analogy, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you maintain your car like your body, your body would be a heck of a lot healthier. And so many people spend, I mean, I don't know what an oil change costs these days, like seven or 80 bucks. And right. you do it a couple times a year and then you go and get the tires rotated. And then they want to complain about, you know, a, a $50 adjustment cost or going to the gym for 20 bucks a month. And, you know, well, you know, the, the, the eating, eating healthy is expensive. Let's dive into this Bullshit. real quick. Okay. Let's, Bullshit. So, so the current studies show if you develop type two diabetes, it can cost you upwards of $300,000 in the course of your life from the age, say 30 on did some quick math. It's about a hundred bucks a week. Um, in addition to what you're already spending on your grocery card. There's where you get your organic, your your fruits and veggies, um, and your 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 healthy foods. Because I don't know about you, but I'd rather invest in health than pay for sickness. Because sickness mm -hmm. sucks. You're miserable. You're missing out on life. You're not on the golf course. You're not having fun. Back to just living life with Bob Bob Bacon, living the dream. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not enjoying life, and the quality of life sucks. So you're constantly paying for sickness, which is a bunch of crap. I mean. Who wants to go to from doctor to doctor? Same guy, my dad, and, and I, I hate to call him out on this, but I will because neglected his health for the first 60 years. Now he's going from one doctor to the next, from this procedure to that, and, and it's just become his reality of retirement is going from doctor to doctor, and I don't think it's cool. Well, and not only, not only that, it's something else you'll see is that as they, as they get sicker and sicker, you know, one <laughs> prescription drug, to the next for the side effects of that one. Another one is added, another one's added. And as I, when I was doing um, chiropractic more full time, and you know, you're just, you know, looking at people's, you know, health history. And some of these people are on anywhere from 12 to 18 meds. Their copay alone is almost $500 a month. And I'm thinking, do you know what I could do for you naturally 
and also help you with your diet. And it wouldn't even cost $500 a month, not to mention every copay for every visit for every doctor that you got to go to and then what it doesn't cover. And then now you're having to buy more expensive insurance. I mean, it's insane. It is not health insurance. It is sick insurance. Let's just be no. really clear about that one. And on the whole food thing, because that just irritates the hell out of me, it's like, listen, you know what? Cut out the sugar, cut out the junk food, really. Like cut out the junk food, cut out, cut out the soda. If you're smoking, cut it out. Cut out all these things that are not necessary, that are not like it. Trust me, you can buy fruits and vegetables and protein and not spend a ton of money. We have more opportunity to get clean or organic fruits and vegetables than ever before. I mean, my goodness, Walmart has a huge section. You can go to Aldi's in bigger cities. You got Trader Joe's. Almost every grocery store has, um, you know, has a whole food section. Or go to your farmer's market. Go to your local farmer's market. Support local. You know, a lot of those guys have these just big, big, big gardens that is more food than they than they can possibly eat. But they love gardening, and it doesn't. It's not full of a bunch of chemicals and pesticides. And so not only are you getting clean vegetables, you know, certainly cleaner, right? Vegetables and fruits. And you're also supporting your, your local neighbor, so to speak. I mean, it just, it, when people say that, I go, you just, you want to believe that you want that to be your story and you want that to be your excuse. But the reality is, you know, we can do better. And I always kind of give, I always kind of give my patients the parameter, good, better, best. Yes, this is, this is the best. This is the gold standard. But if you can't do it, you know, you know, get rid of the dirty dozen, or, you know, if you have to get vegetables then just wash them, maybe it's not going to be as high as nutrient dense as organic, but it's still gonna be better than the canned stuff that got destroyed with all the heat and processing, whatever it is, but taking the time for those that care, right, to give them those options that are good, better, best. And I'm sure you have found like me, the ones that make the lifestyle changes. And I'm talking about, you know, with their food, with exercise movement, it costs nothing to go for a walk. You can't afford the gym, go for a walk. I'll teach you how to do push-ups and sit-ups and squats, right? I'll teach you how to do some strength training. But those people I find um, when they were also, you know, cause some people are not my chiropractic patient, they're just my nutrition patient. But the ones that I took care of both chiropractically and also with nutrition, they actually needed me less. I didn't have to adjust them as often. And before, and before we knew it, they didn't need as many supplements or herbs to bring up their vitality or to fill in the gaps because they didn't have as many gaps. And no matter what you think, your body is obsessed with keeping you alive. It doesn't care if you look good. It doesn't care if you feel good. It will just try to keep you upright and walking as long as it can. And it will rob Peter to pay Paul all day, every day. Absolutely. Amen to that. You know? So it's so funny you're talking about medication a moment ago. Um, in walks to my office years ago, uh, former VP of Blue Cross Blue Shield. She's grossly overweight. Um, I'm going to use the medical term, obese. Uh -huh. And she's on um, approximately 12 medications. Okay, so she's the, she's, the v, she's the VP of Blue Cross Blue Shield. Awesome. The major <laughs> healthcare insurance for United States of America. And can we just call it sick care? Can we, can we please just yes. call it sick care insurance? <laughs> yes. Okay. So she's the major uh, player in sick care insurance and she comes in, she goes, no, no, I'm good. I'm healthy. Um, I, you know, my back hurts and, and, and this, that, and the other. And I said, okay, cool. Let's, let's do our exam evaluation. We do our functional assessment on her. 
uh, and I said, here's the problems, X, Y, and Z. And she's like, you know, I'm really healthy. I, I take all my medications. I'm on my high blood pressure medication, my high cholesterol medication, my this medication, my that medication. And her idea, Annette, was seriously taking her pills every day created health. And yet she died of cancer just a few years ago. And, I, and, and, my, and my, team, my team told me, and they're like, hey, so-and-so died. of. I was like, yeah, I, I saw that coming. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, when your body when your body is controlled by a synthetic substance that's up or down regulating the normal physiology i mean we talked about this in an earlier podcast so one of my patients uh, he designs pharmaceuticals for the cardiovascular industry you know he said drugs are designed to get you out of the the harm's way so you can change your lifestyle are you listening drugs are designed short term to change your lifestyle so you don't die today not for the next 20 years of taking this drug. So if you're listening and you're on a drug that your medical doctor says, just keep taking it, find an exit strategy, please. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna add to that. Unfortunately, most of the time they are told once they start taking it, you have to continue on. And I'll never forget years ago, I, I had, uh, had, I got to know a, a medical physician. He was a vascular surgeon, pretty nice guy, but we clearly had fundamental differences. But he really believed every everybody after the age of 50 should be on a on a blood pressure, a statin, and an aspirin. Every single person. And I'm just like, it's like, why? And why? And and even now, I mean, I you can see it where Yes, I'm, I'm, both of us would agree. We're all for acute care. We're all for you break it, get it fixed. You've got, you've got a severe infection and you're going to lose your limb. If you don't get rid of that infection, there is a time and place for everything. But most of Absolutely. the drugs that people are on, right. Most of the drugs people are on are not going to save their life, but it will shorten their life without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, it is, yeah. it, it's just oh, so frustrating. Same guy designs pharmaceuticals takes zero pharmaceuticals, exercises, gets adjusted, lives a mostly plant-based diet and very spiritual, just a very health conscious individual. And he even said his own words. He's like, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay off of that drug because I know the effects of it. So he's well, you know designing it. You know, what's interesting, the way he frames how he views it, the phrase that he used, um, is probably the only way he can ethically continue to design drugs because he has to know in his heart that most of these people are told once you go on it to stay on it. Um, and, you know, and God forbid, once you have the side effect of a drug that we take you off of it. No, 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 no. Let me just give you another one and another one and another one. And, and, I, and, it's, and I think that hopefully we're trying to either reach people who are kind of uh, teetering on the edge, right? Or looking for better answers because some of those people actually don't care. It was like the woman from, from Blue Cross Blue Shield. She didn't care. She, she completely bought into, these are the drugs I need to take, or my doctor told me I had to take them. Or I've also met people who said, you know what? I don't want to make the lifestyle changes. I right. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. This is a great story. So I think that, um, PPIs are right up there and, and acid reducing medications are horrific. I think we might have even talked about in the class that I was in because it, you know, interferes with the, the absorption, all the minerals, and it goes on and on. We'll give you osteoporosis. 
yada, 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 prone to infections, so forth. So this, and really when they were first designed, you were only supposed to be on them for about six weeks. It was just enough time that your stomach could heal from any ulcer and you were supposed to get off of them. And yet we have people, we have babies that are put on them. We have adults that have been on for years and years and years. And so this woman comes to me because she's, she's, she's intelligent. So she's has, now that we're starting to put the warning in the packets about, you know, they're not meant to be long-term and these are the side effects. And she finally decided to read it and said, you know, maybe I should get off of this. So she comes to me for help. I put her on a very simple supplements, you know, support, very simple routine. But in the meantime, I said, you got to give up fried food, you know, no soda or alcohol, coffee, no, you know, no, no extreme spices while we are able to heal your gut and you're able to get off of this, get off of this antacid. So she does, her energy goes up. She lost like 15 pounds. She's feeling really good. But then on one of my follow-ups, she comes back and she is mad. She's mad. She's mad at me. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, well, she goes, I can't enjoy, you know, basically she can't enjoy food anymore. You can't enjoy food. That's yeah, awesome. I'm like, okay, that she could enjoy when she was on the antacid. And I, I, I'm just going, I'm just, well, clearly we're going to part ways because it's just like, but some people, I mean, that's kind of, well, no, it is funny, and it, but it's not so extreme. Some people like that because I get to do what I want to do. I still get to, I still get to eat however I want and the statin's going to make my numbers look good. So yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to be protected from heart disease. Bullshit. You're not going to be protected. You don't change yeah. your lifestyle; it's still gonna happen. Absolutely, uh, you know, frustrating. It, it does get frustrating, and I agree. And I had a patient with a like we'll call it the big gulp. He had a <laughs> Dr Pepper, whatever Mountain Dew, and it was like the sixty-four ounce. He's got a hold of it with two hands, and he's like, he was just holding on to it like it was his life force, and he was drinking it. And he's like, "What are you gonna say about that?" I said, "It's cool. I'm gonna outlive you. I don't really care." And he's like, yeah. well, how, how do you know that? And I said, science. I mean, and why why should you care if he doesn't? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I said it's not personal. You know, I don't want to get into <laughs> it. But I mean, he, he almost like came at me like like I'm gonna do this, and and I said that's like like a slow suicidal death of you know you're drinking sixty to seventy ounces of soda a day. I mean, that's gotta have a negative impact and. So that leads to inflammation, spike blood sugar, and we're gonna kind of wrap it all yeah. around in a nice little bow and tie it up. Um, so this month in October, we're talking about breast cancer awareness. Um, Annette, quick question: Are you aware there's breast cancer out there? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. Yes, I good. Am. So, so we we know this month is a success. Um, can we do something about it, please? Can we stop talking about awareness and talking about oh. solutions? And I'm so, I'm so frustrated because the more money you give to pink ribbons, the more money you donate to those societies, it's more drugs and more research on drugs. Let's talk about a solution for a moment. So why don't you listen to some holistic opinions? And I'm not going to say experts, but people who actually know about how the body works. So my philosophy is really simple. Um, simplify your lifestyle choices, reduce inflammation, reduce the environmental impacts that would uh, turn the light switch on for the BRCA gene, the things that are going to actually upregulate the genetic tendency for cancer. So what are some things that you would recommend to those listening that not necessarily are going to ensure because there's no guarantee in life, let's be honest, but things that can maybe 
allow them to express better health. And we can get away with saying that because we're not offering health advice, but we're just saying how can we improve our outcome and health? Well, I think I think first and foremost for females is that is that you the understanding of one, if you were in your reproductive years and you were having a cycle, that cycle should be happening naturally and it should be happening every month. The statistics suggest that any young woman who goes on birth control before the age of 18 increases her risk for breast cancer by up to 30%. Wow. Now let that, let that sink in. When we have 14 year olds, because they're not cycling every month, they go on birth control because they have acne, they go on birth control. Uh, because it's inconvenient to have their period because they're in sports, they go on birth control. And then this ties into what you were talking about is like, oh, and then it's a shock that they have trouble with getting pregnant later on. So I think that this is this is the first awareness that our women need to have, moms need to have, and really look at, you know, honoring the cycle the way it should be. It's supposed to happen every month. And if it isn't, if it isn't regular, don't use the pill as a way to suppress it, especially for those reasons, because all those reasons I just listed, none of them were for birth control. None of them. None of them had to do with that. So I think that knowing that that puts us at an increased risk because of way it suppresses hormones. The reality is we need a balance of hormones and the three key hormones when they're in balance with each other that are protective of breast tissue is testosterone, estradiol, and progesterone. Those are just so important. And when you're on birth control, it horrifically, one, first and foremost, suppresses progesterone and leaves them relatively estrogen dominant. And just because it is a family that functions together, ultimately it's going to affect testosterone. So from a hormonal standpoint, that's really important. When we look at just simple things with food, we know that flaxseed, flaxseed is high in essential fatty acids, omega-3s can naturally bind to hormone metabolites. If we look at the cruciferous vegetables that, that naturally um, contain phytonutrients that again will help with, with estrogen metabolites. And this is so we don't get in this quote unquote estrogen dominant state. This is really, really, really important. Looking at fiber, something as so simple Increase fiber in your diet. It will bind to all excess hormones, toxins, whatever doesn't belong in your body for proper elimination. Because if you don't eliminate these excess hormones when it finally gets down into the large intestine, they will, they will what they call deconjugate, go back into the bloodstream, and then go back through. And if the liver cannot, cannot eliminate, it will start to store them. And this is how we get out of balance. There has been tons of research on things just as simple as iodine being very protective of breast tissue and also ovaries, by the way, because in the body, the three major storage sites for iodine is thyroid, breast tissue, and gonads. So ovaries for women and testes for men. So, and we don't have to go stupid high mega doses. There's plenty of food sources that you also can look at. And I think sometimes these simple things, you talked about getting rid of hormone disruptors, making sure that, you know, detox pathways are strong and functioning clear and that, and we can look at foods that enhance that, certain herbs that enhance that. It's not always about, you know, spending millions of dollars. And I absolutely agree with you. I get, I will not give to any cancer foundation because it's always about awareness and the research. The other reason I won't give is because the research is for more drugs. Do you know there is more money spent in the people who research, make the drugs, and take care of pe people with cancer than actually people with cancer? I mean, it's insane. It's so 
lopsided that it's no wonder we go, oh, we got this battle, we got this battle, we got this battle, instead of actually looking at looking at the real solutions. And so I don't know if that is enough information, but I think that that at least gets us thinking about it. And before we go too far from it, I wanna I wanna clear up the idea of soy. Because sometimes people go, oh well, you know, you know, soy is is really, really good and really, really protective. Because a look at the Asian culture who has very little cancer. The difference there though is they actually do very little soy protein. They're doing fermented soy, they're doing whole soybeans that are not GMO and are not, you know, full of pesticides and so forth. In this culture, we always think if a little is good, more must be better. And so when you overdo, especially soy protein isolate, which is a, the toxic byproduct of when they're utilizing soy, it has an estrogen-like effect in the body. So it's very estrogenic, so it increases the estrogen uh, expression. And it also works against the thyroid. So you have just another thing that is also gonna interfere with overall balance. So it's not about, if you want to do some organic um, edamame, you know, some good soybeans, if you can find them, a little bit of tofu, tempeh, because those are fermented, that is okay. But don't overdo it. No soy milk, no soy protein. Those are the worst things you could possibly do in your diet, um, you know, amongst eating, you know, animal protein that are full of hormones. Wow. I think that's it. I know that was quite the tangent. <laughs> that That is but a mic. That is a mic drop, Annette, and uh, <laughs> you really hit a lot of high points. And I think for those listeners, rewind the last few minutes and re-listen because there's a lot of stuff that you're going to gain from that. And and Annette's an expert. You know, these are people that I want to bring into the conversation about. They know they're talking about. They've been there. They're in clinical experience, 17 years of experience, thousands of patients. She's not just winging it. She's not just reading from a brochure. She's not representing a pharmaceutical company. Um, the fact that she works with Standard Process and, and, and just kind of similar to me is because they have high standards. You know, we use uh, more of a, a, a whole food plant-based diet idea of supplementation. I mean, when I went to the farm, it was all about these are things that are coming from the earth. These are nutrients. These are phytonutrients that your body needs and, and, and it excels on. And the reason why my, my great-grandparents lived to be in their 90s is because they ate from the garden. They ate whole foods. The, the, the meat was less processed. It has less hormones. I mean, there was no hormones 60 years ago. I mean, that's new. And yeah. um, by the way, um, the whole like gluten intolerance idea of where we're going – I mean, glycophosphates have been introduced from Monsanto. Have you noticed the news? Have you noticed the commercials about the lawsuits? They're spending $8 billion in payout because they realize Monsanto produced an oops product that is causing cancer. So not to dwell on one subject, but when you're looking at cancer, whether it's site-specific breast, cervical, prostate, colon, there's a lifestyle component. It's not your genetics take control, spend a little bit more money and time, do your research. Like Annette was saying, there's certain foods that you would deem healthy, but because they're mass produced and genetically modified, they're not the same foods our ancestors used to eat. So you have to understand what you're putting in your shopping cart. You have to understand what you're doing day to day. There's simple choices you can make for you and your family. There's things that you can do to get up, to get moving, to just express health better 
And if the genetic light switch turns on or turns off, listen, that's just the way it is. And, and maybe that's your, your time to go. But I want to control and influence the things that I have um, an influence over. And so with Annette today, we were talking about some things that you can control, the things that you have the power over. Spend a little bit more money and time on your health. It's worth it. The return on investment is huge. If you don't think so, go to a nursing home, ask the number one question, what would you have done different in your life? And they would say this, I would have taken better control of my health. I did it 20 some years ago. And the reality is this, I've learned from them. So I want to bring to you guys as listeners, people in my life that influence me, bring to you the science, the validation but just get out there and start doing it one step at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself. Health starts with one step, one day, one choice. So listen, Net, thank you so much for this amazing time together. And uh, my dog agrees. He, he likes it. He's agreeing. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun, Jason. I've enjoyed it just immensely. Absolutely. We're going to continue our conversation in a few months. Um, you're going to be a regular uh, guest on Adventure Health. So I want to thank all our listeners. Um, again, share this with people you know. It may help them more than you. And it's, again, the kerosene that burns uh, my fire uh, super hot. And uh, thanks again, Annette. All right. Thanks, Jason. Oh, and I will be with you When the darkest winter comes Oh, and I will be with you To feel the California sun Oh, and I will be with you